If you don't know who I am, I'm Jeff. <laughs> uh, let's start with prayer. Would you join me in praying to our Father this morning? Father, we thank you, God, that you are here with us even now, that you're, you came here before we were here. God, you're already ready to do something. Lord, would you just help us to be open to your spirit? Would your spirit move in us like the wind is moving outside? Would you move us to where you want us, God? Would you speak to us this morning through your word? And may, may we walk away changed because of encountering Jesus. We thank you that you love us and you're going to do even more than we ask or imagine according to your riches in Jesus. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, what are the value of words? Just think about that. What are the value of words? This past week, I was going to my grandmother's graveside service, and on the way, well, on the way, I picked up my aunt. She didn't have a car, so I drove to Rancho Palos Verdes, and then I drove up to Bakersfield. So it was like about nine hours altogether, because I love driving. Um, no, but it was, it was a decent long trip, but it's one of those good trips. It's like one of those things that you're grateful for when you look back. And uh, even though I'm not excited about L.A. traffic, I don't know anyone who is, but I was just so grateful to spend time with her. It's like probably the most we'd ever talked in my entire life. The last time we talked, I think it was seven, so I don't really remember it. And I probably didn't say a whole lot. Um, but that's, anyways. So we had this great trip, and while we were talking, she told me about her current job. So she got her PhD in psychology and studying the brain. So she's literally a genius. I don't know how we're related, but she's a genius. And she studied the brain. And so she's just really brilliant. And her current job, however, has not, nothing really to connect with that. She's been working with a company that helps write uh, the, the cancer and medical treatment trials. So, so kind of what she does is she helps write the process and instructions for them to implement the trials that they're doing. So they're working on experimental things that will help, hopefully, future generations in, in their fight against cancer and other diseases. And, and she told me she's never been more aware of the importance of words because people's lives are literally impacted by the preciseness of her wording. The wrong wording or lackadaisical words could result in a fatal incident. And yet the correct wording, think about this, the correct wording could one day lead to the cure for cancer. That's how powerful words are. What a powerful impact God has given our words and the impact they can have on someone's life. And praise God for that and for smart people who can work on those kinds of things. And even though we're not, at least most of us, aren't working on writing prescriptions and trials, each of us, each of us have value to bring with our words. And all of our words eventually change people's lives. And we know this from experience. Most of us in this room can remember very specifically the words of others. Maybe there is a season of doubt or discouragement and the right words spoken at the right time was just what you needed. Maybe, maybe they were a healing balm in a time of need. Maybe the words were spoken up just when you needed, like they, like they came through, like the person had no clue what you were going through and they still knew exactly what you needed. But unfortunately, many of us also remember words that hurt. We remember that someone said something so hurtful, it's like the words have been written onto our souls. A trusted person using their words to tear us down rather than build us up. In Proverbs 18, 21, it says this, the tongue, the tongue can bring death or life. That's how valuable our words are. 
And so today we'll be looking at how we as people who believe in the resurrection of Jesus, we believe in this new life that Jesus has given us because of his resurrection, how we can speak words of life to other people rather than words of death. Because at the end of the day, our, our words matter. And, and why do they matter? Well, well, Jesus says they matter. Look with me in Luke 6. It says this should be on the screen. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Words are so important. They show us what's in a person's heart. Words are a window into the hearts of the, of the speaker. And obviously, words that don't match actions are worthless, but even those are still looking at their heart. All words reveal something. And so today, as we look at how, how can we worship God with our words, we, we need to remember that, that it ultimately is worshiping God with our hearts. To worship God with our hearts results in worshiping God with our words, and not just the words we sing to him. And I know that's typically what we think of when we think of worshiping God with our words. We think of the songs we sing, the true and thankful things we say to God, and those are very important. They're, they're vital. However, it's not just what we sing to God that's worship. It's what we speak to others. And that we either worship God with them or we, we, we tear down his image in others. And in this series, we've been looking at a bunch of different ways that we worship God. We worship God with our work. We worship him with our stuff. We worship him with our time. We can worship him in many different ways, right? It's not just what we sing. Worship is not just the songs and after the sermon. Songs before and after the sermon. There we go. Uh, worship is the whole life laid down on the altar before God, not for him to destroy, but for him to take up and use. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been really convicted and reminded of things in this series. I've been reminded of truths that I need to remember. But I'm praying that today the Lord would use this specific sermon for wherever you are at. And the good news is that his spirit will do that if you're open to it. But I want to let you know ahead of time, there's, we're going to be jumping all over. There's a lot of verses, so maybe just write them down if you can. Uh, but our main text is going to be in James chapter 1 and then James 3. So starting in 1 verse 19, it says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And it says this in verse 26. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. And then it says this in James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in the mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing but makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. So encouraging, right? <laughs> It says, it can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Wow. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made 
in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, it should not, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh and, and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Wow, that's a lot. It sure seems like James is interpreting Jesus for us a little bit, right? He even kind of picks up on the same illustration. But this morning, I want us to think, we need to surrender words of death and speak words of life. And that's the title of this sermon, Words of Life. We need to surrender the words of death and speak the words of life. But how do we do this? Well, there's two simple ways I think we can do this. We must surrender our critical words for words of love, and we must surrender our careless words for speaking words of life. We surrender our critical words for words of love, and we surrender our careless words for words of life. Look again with me in verses seven through nine. It says this. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Jesus, I'm sorry, James says that our critical words, these words we speak cursing others, when we speak poorly of those made in the image of God, we are speaking words of deadly poison. Most of us, heard, who, most of us growing up heard the old kid's song, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Man, we were lied to, huh? Bones heal, scars eventually fade, but those words sometimes stick with us. And even when we're emotionally strong and healthy, sometimes words of criticism stick on us. In the beginning, God spoke and created the world, and it was a good world. In fact, he spoke everything into existence, which is supposed to show us how powerful God is and how powerful words are. But our words are still creating worlds. When critical words are spoken, they create worlds of bitterness, worlds of hurt, worlds of disappointment. To a young person trying to figure out what they're supposed to do in life, a word of discouragement at the wrong time can crush or derail their dreams. But by God's grace, maybe it'll motivate them to work harder, which is grace alone. But even then, it still creates a world of distrust. And, 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 and these words of criticism, if they're not used correctly, or well, actually, if they're not used constructively, they're gonna tear people down and they're gonna stick with them. The words you use today may stick with them tomorrow. And there are healthy forms of criticism, forms that are intended for building people up. But what I'm saying, critical words, what I mean is those with the goal of destruction, with, the, with no goal of constructing or building up. But still too often, even in our constructive criticism, it can become an excuse for being critical. Rather than finding areas of encouragement and positive reinforcement, we, we resign to trying to keep people humble. We resign to trying to be right all the time. Harvard Business Review says this, good teams realize, and this is a study they did in 2013, good teams realize that for every one constructive criticism, a person needs five positive encouragements. And that's for constructive criticism. That's not just criticism. For every one constructive criticism, they need five positive encouragements. Even well-intended critical words are useless on their own. James wants us to see that when we use the same tongue to praise God on Sunday and then curse those made in his image the rest of the week, one of them doesn't belong. God is, is the idea that we are all made in God's image and we all have infinite value. 
And because of that, God, God redeems us. And then when we're redeemed, our words are supposed to show a heart, show a heart that, that realizes that reality. But when our words don't reveal the heart that God has created for us, that redeemed heart, it shows that we haven't understood what God has done. We believe that Jesus dying for us shows that we have infinite value, but when we are constantly critical with our words, it reveals we don't believe it about others yet. Let me say that again. We believe that Jesus dying for us reveals that we have eternal and infinite value, but when we use critical words constantly, it reveals we don't believe it about others yet. It, be it means that we believe Jesus died for us, that's great, but I don't know about the other guy. It means, yeah, Jesus forgave my sins, but not those persons. This disconnect isn't just harmful to someone's emotional health, it's harmful to our spiritual health. James says in verse 26 of chapter one, if we don't control our tongue, our faith is useless, it's worthless. Do you know what the word translated worthless is in the original language? It means worthless. <laughs> James isn't, he's not, he's not being ambiguous here. A faith that speaks critically constantly of others is worthless. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how many times you pray. You, you pray a day. If, you're, if, it, if your faith doesn't change the way you speak ever, and I'm not saying that we have to be perfect, but if it never changes, if it doesn't grow, if it's not causing change in your life, your faith is worthless. James isn't holding any punches here. But there's some conversation here about whether or not that reveals whether we're a follower of Jesus or not. But what's very clear at the very least is if our faith doesn't change the way we talk about others, then our faith isn't working. It's not producing what God intends it to. Some might ask, isn't being honest important? When did speaking the truth become wrong? Speaking the truth is good and important. Speaking it without love is not the calling of Jesus' followers. Speaking the truth is good and important, but we do not have that vocation without love. If we speak without love, it doesn't matter how true we are. It doesn't matter how right we are. That's not the goal of Jesus. Jesus doesn't want you to just speak the truth. Oh, it's just, it's just the truth. I'm just being honest. I'm just an honest person. Jesus says, no, you gotta speak it in love. Paul says it this way. If we speak with the tongue of angels, but we don't have love, it's useless. I think it's safe to say if all of our honesty sounds similar to being critical all the time. It's not because we're too honest, but because we're too unloving. And it says this in Proverbs 27, five, five through six. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Well, that sure sounds like it disagrees with what I said, right? However, here, here's the difference. The difference between criticism and correction is the goal. The main difference between being critical and being corrective is the goal. If the goal is to help the other person see they're wrong or help you be right, you're being critical. Winning the argument never wins a person. When we speak words of love, the goal is always not just that they see that we're right and they're wrong. The goal is that we see them walk in the truth. If I love like Jesus loves, I will always seek the good of the other. So correction is not just showing them where they're wrong and where we're right. God desires that even when people are wrong, our conversation is redemptive. Our, our, our goal isn't that they see they're wrong, but our goal is that they would walk in the truth. This is such an important point because when we love people, when we actually love them, we, we'll choose correct words. I'm not saying you never say anything hard. It says faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
Sometimes we gotta say hard things. Sometimes we gotta say hard things, but it's always in love. It's always with the goal of them coming to the truth. It's never with the goal of winning the argument. Because God doesn't, God doesn't win if we win an argument. God don't, God, God's love shows through when we're loving with our words too. The words we speak to others reveals our heart before God. And that's why it's worship. That's why it's worship the way we speak to others because it ultimately reveals where our heart is. So in order to worship God with our words, we must surrender our critical words for words of love. But we must also surrender our careless words for words of life. I remember when Brooke and I were dating, I was a very broke college student, and we would go to the movies all the time. And we still love watching movies, less so going out because we have Disney Plus and everything. Anyways, we don't care. It's beside the point. But we, we go to the theater, and I remember one time, it was like, I think it was five, six years ago now. No, yeah, six years ago. And we went in, and I was like, like talking to the person, because like I tried to be like conversational, and I like get paid the money and they give me the tickets and they're like, oh, have a good movie. And I'm like, you too. <laughs> Anyone else ever? No, just me, okay. Anyways, but that's not the careless words I'm talking about. The socially awkward moments, those are something else. But the moments where we don't think before we speak, that's what I'm getting at. The idea that our careless words when we don't think before we speak. What we say in a moment of anger or lash out at someone, what we say later on knowing that it was inappropriate in the moment, but we haven't considered the consequences. Whenever we speak what we think without thinking before we speak, that's what I mean when I say careless words. And James says this, we must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. When we speak carelessly, we hurt people needlessly. When we speak carelessly, we hurt people needlessly. Even if the goal isn't to be critical, even if the goal isn't to hurt, if we're not careful with what we say, we can still do the same damage. But how do we move forward? How do we surrender that and, and, and speak words of life? Well, we need to slow down. We need to think before we speak. Oftentimes, it's, it's just waiting a little bit longer before you respond. Oftentimes, it's a little bit more like, wait a second, okay, I know this is how I feel, but is this really true? When we aren't slow to speak, we might end up saying things that are a result of impulse rather than what's important. Proverbs 15, 23 says this, everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. When we take our words too serious, when we don't take our words seriously, we speak too quickly. But this is just as true for the words we comment online as the ones we say in person. A good test to whether you should comment something, text something, email something, tweet something, whatever way you say something online, is would we still say it if the other person was in the room? Or even more, would we still say it if we saw Jesus in the room? And here's the reality, he is. We just don't see him, because we're not looking. Oftentimes our careless words should die in our drafts and not fill comment sections. All right. Our careless words should die in our drafts and not fill the comment sections. Our careless words should be left in our heads and not stuck in someone else's. If we're going to worship God with our words, we have to surrender the critical words and the careless ones too. And this is so difficult because we build the habit of just saying whatever we feel like. 
We just think, you know, I've arrived. I can say whatever I want. I'm an American. I can say whatever I want. You may have freedom of speech as an American, but as a Christian, without love, you don't have that freedom. If it's not the goal to love someone, you don't have that freedom. Jesus doesn't give that for us. He died to take care of the careless words. Let's not keep speaking them. But if we remember that the people we're speaking to are also made in the image of God and therefore infinitely valuable, we won't be so flippant with how we talk to them and how we talk about them. We gotta surrender our careless words and replace them with life-giving ones. Here's another couple of Proverbs. It says this in 15, Proverbs 15.4. A gentle word, gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16.24, it says this. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. When we choose to speak words of life, we bring healing rather than hurt. When we choose to speak words of life, we're worshiping God because we are speaking as he would speak. And whenever we choose words that build up rather than tear down, we're pointing people to the possible future with God's spirit. Whenever we continue to remind people of their past or we say careless things without thinking about how it will affect them, we're not pointing them to Jesus, we're pointing them to our sin. And our goal is always in worship, remember? To, to, to lay our lives down before God so he can use them. But if we're just constantly speaking without thinking, we're not really doing that. Remember, the, the, the definition of worship is to lay ourselves down so that God can pick us up to use us. And if all of life is supposed to be worshiped, then our words shouldn't get an exception. We need to use our words to heal rather than hurt. This isn't about the power of positivity, even though being people of the resurrection with the hope ahead of us, we should be positive. That's another sermon for another time. But, but it's not about the power of positivity. It's about the reality that our words change the world the way that people see the world. The very first time I ever spoke on a church platform, I was at a college group back in Bakersfield. And I remember I was sharing my testimony. I was 18 years old. And just a couple months earlier, I had to retake English. Because in high school, I was so shy that I'd rather fail English than do a presentation in front of the class. So I had to redo it over the summer. Anyways. So a couple months later, I'm on stage, and I'm standing there, and, and the service has gone by, it feels like way faster than ever before, and I, and I just feel like every song was cut short by five minutes, and I get up there, and I'm like, please, God, don't, don't let me just go silent. Please, just don't, and I stand up there, and I go, uh, and it was that quiet, just like that. And I couldn't find a word. I'd practiced, I'd rehearsed, and that's why I have these notes in front of me now. I've learned. But in that moment, I was just so scared. I was like, I, I can't. I'm freezing up. I'm, I'm, it's like high school all over again. Then someone in the front row, someone I'd never met at that point, her name was Tony. she shouted three words, you got this. And in that moment, when she said that, I felt calmer. And in almost an instant, I remembered what I was supposed to say. And I was able to share what God had done in my life, how God saved me with that crowd because of three words from one person. If someone in that moment had laughed at me or said something careless or critical, I might not be standing here today. And if that seems like an overstatement, remember this, I still remember those three words 10 years later. That's the power of life-giving words. It doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be something profound. Three words, you got this. The power of life-giving words is they change the world that people see themselves in. God created the world with his words, 
And we've been doing it ever since. We've been creating these little worlds for others and for ourselves. And if we're not careful, we're, we're going to add to the wrong world. We're going to create a wrong world. Here, here's what I mean. Most people are so starved of kind words that if you give them a genuine compliment, they will burst out crying. Most people are so starved of genuine kindness that a heartfelt, well-thought compliment would change their life. But, but I don't even have to explain this too much. You guys know, when was the last time someone gave you a genuine compliment? One that, one that, they, that was specific. That wasn't just a general thank you. Thank yous are great, but a, gen, a specific, genuine compliment. When was the last time? Has it been the last year? Maybe the last five years? This ought not to be the case in the church. Paul says this in Romans 12.10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Another translation puts it this way, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul says that we should work hard. No, we should compete in showing honor to each other, encouraging them with life-giving words. Because when we speak words of life towards people, when we speak words of encouragement and use our words for these ends, we will find quite often that God isn't just worshiped in when, when we sing, but when we speak. He wants us to worship him by speaking like he would speak to them. Words that, not just, that don't just see the sum of their past mistakes, but see the future possibility with God's spirit. This is the reality of, of, of the words, is that they can bring life to people. They can bring them alive. They can call them into something they never expected for themselves, but that God wants to do with them. The power of our words is they can breathe life into discouraged and hurting people. So let's carefully consider how we use our words, whether they bring life to the hearers or not. Because either our words will be, they'll either be weapons that tear people down, or they'll be like a breath of fresh air that builds them up. And ask yourself, who in your life do you need to encourage this week? Who in your life needs to know that you're proud of them? Who this week needs to be reminded of the value that they offer the world? Who in your life can you outdo in showing honor to? Who? Who, who needs it? Because I think if we're, we think about it for a second, we can think of a couple names. Here's my challenge for you. Do it. Write it down. Text them right now if you have to. I, I won't judge you, I promise. I won't tell anyone either. But, but, but honestly, like, if we actually took the time to do this, what would the world look like? What would our church look like if we outdid one another in showing honor? I think a talk like this can be confusing for, for some because we often think of our words as worship when we sing to God. And we do worship God with singing. That's the whole reason we're going to be back here tonight, singing together and, sing, and sharing thanks for what God has done. It is vital, absolutely vital to the Christian life that we sing songs of worship. There's a whole book on worship called the Psalms. It's so vital that we sing. And I would encourage you to make it a priority if you can to be here tonight as we sing and share what we're thankful for. But it's also vital, so vital, that we remember it's not just what we sing to God that's worship, it's what we speak to others. We need to remember that the people made in the image of God are still valuable. Everyone is valuable. I don't care what they've done. They're still valuable. And, and what would God have you say to them? 
Jesus said this, that the, the greatest commandment is to love God and love others like yourself, right? Paul says actually loving others is proof that you love God. And so if we don't love others with our words, then it doesn't matter what we sing to God. I strongly believe that preaching the good news to yourself daily is an important spiritual practice. Reminding ourselves what, what, what God says is true. Because we're infiltrated day after day after day with bad news, lies about who we are and what we, what we could be or couldn't be. So we need to remind ourselves what God says is true. But we also need to do the same for others. Reminding them that even in their wandering from God, he is still pursuing them that no matter what, whether they've strayed or disobeyed God, that God still loves them. This is what we're called to do. This is how we will truly worship God with our words when we value others the way that he does. But maybe you're here this morning and you've realized that, that your words have been often categorized as critical or careless. And you need to spend some time thinking about the world that your words are creating for your spouse, for your kids, for your family and your friends, your coworkers, and even yourself. And the best time to make a necessary change is right when God reveals it to you. But maybe this, this morning you're here and you're a person who's lived in a world filled with criticism and lies and shame and guilt. The good news is that God wants to bring you out of that one and into the world he's remaking. The words of those around us can so easily lead us to believe that this is reality, but God's words still determine reality. And he says that though we may walk away from him, though we may turn away from him, he still loves us and wants to redeem us. That's what the cross is about. That whatever world you've been living in, whatever the world says about you, that you're not thin enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not rich enough, that you don't have enough, that you haven't done enough, no matter what enough the world lies to you, Jesus says, I've died for you and you're valuable just like that. No matter what you do, what you've done, what you haven't done, that's the good news of the cross, is that we don't have to be enough because God loves us more than enough. God says we're loved and we're valuable and in Christ we're redeemed and new, and our past has no authority over our identity. That our past is just a prologue for what God wants to do in the future. Our past does not have the final say. The cross and resurrection of Jesus have the final word over our lives, and that's good news. And the same good news, we need to speak to others. But maybe you're not in either of those categories. Maybe like me or the rest of us, you're somewhere in between. Maybe you realize that, you're, that you've said some things that are careless or critical, but also you find yourself living in a world of criticism and carelessness, that, 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 those, that people speak those things to you and you're speaking those things to others. I think we all need a steadier diet of Jesus' good news and a greater discipline of speaking good news. We need a diet, so we need to take in Jesus' good news every day because we're getting filled with bad news every day. And then we need to do the discipline of sharing that good news every day. And maybe it doesn't look like telling people that Jesus died for them. Maybe it's just tell, it's like telling people, hey, you look good today. Just little things, just little tidbits that look into the greater reality that this world is so filled with criticizing others and being careless that maybe, just maybe, God's calling you to be an encourager. And all this matters because the words we speak reveal our hearts. 
And God wants our hearts to worship him, not just Sunday, but every day. So let us be a people who give up critical and careless words for the words of life and love in order that we might be the better reflection of him we're called to be in a world desperately in need to see what God is like, in a world that desperately needs to know good news. Let us be people of good news. In a world filled with criticism and carelessness, may we be filled with love and life. And as we close, I want to invite the band up. We're going to have one more song of reflection before we close today. But as they're coming up, I want to encourage us all. I want us all to pray that God's spirit would bring to light what we need to change. Maybe you're someone who just speaks without thinking. Pray that God would give you patience. Maybe you're someone who, who, who's around people who are constantly critical. Pray that God would give you a spirit of love and discerning the truth that he says over you. We all need God to move in our midst today. Whether we've been the one who's done the wrong or the one who's had the wrong done to us, we all need God's spirit to move because we all need to grow. May we be a people who give up critical and careless words and replace them with words of love and life. I say this again and again because it's so important that we get this. It's so easy to walk out in 10 minutes and forget everything I just said because lunch is coming. I get it, I'm a Baptist, I like to eat. That being said, it's so critical that we get this. Because if you say you're a Christian, but you don't speak like it, people get the wrong idea of what God is like. And I'm not saying we have to be perfect, and none of us are gonna be perfect, but we should all desire to grow. So let us be a people who gets rather critical and careless and replaces it with words of love and life. For this is truly the way to worship God surrendering the old and following Jesus into the new. Would you pray with me? God is your people. You call us to be people who speak words of love and life over others. You call us to be the people who speak like you would speak to others, God. But if we're honest, so often we don't. So often, God, our words are no different than the way the world around us. careless, or maybe we're even critical of others, would your spirit this morning, God, would your powerful, all-conquering Holy Spirit change us today? May we walk out differently than the way we walked in because we know who you've called us to be. And not only do you call us to be like that, God, but you empower us to be like that. This morning, God, we just pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing in your sight. And God, would you be the God who would change us forever to be the people you call us to be. In Jesus' name.